said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, like. Hey, welcome to Tangentially Speaking. I'm here this week with Duncan Trussell, um, who is responsible for this whole debacle. <laughs> is that how you say debacle? I always used to say debacle. Debacle sounds like something you'd wear. <laughs> like sounds like something a blimp pilot would wear. <laughs> a blimp pilot. <laughs> Put on my debacle. Oh, shit, man. We're like 15 seconds into it, and you're already cracking me up. This morning, I was listening to... Uh, well, I, I intended to listen to your podcast with uh, Daniel Botelli. Bolelli. Bolelli. Yes. Okay. And your intro went on for like 20 minutes and just had me like rolling. Oh, that's it was, awesome. It, it was just insane. I never got cool. to, I didn't, you know, I had to come here and I never got to the actual interview. But cool. Anyway, this is Duncan Trussell's a comedian, well known comedian, just back from a triumphant uh, Canadian tour. Yes. Yes. Vancouver. Vancouver. He rocked Vancouver three nights running, sold out shows. Yes. People turned away in yes. tears at the door. Weeping. Weeping. Un- Suicide. In- inconsolably. Someone almost died at the show. No joke. They laughed to death? No. I'm f- no. They were on some kind of they were on some kind of psychedelic, and uh, it was right before the show. I was standing in the lobby, and this guy just came stumbling out of the out of the theater, and his eyes were just black as night, and and he had this look on his face of. Do you ever read H.P. Lovecraft at all? No. Well, it's all his stories are about people who come in contact with an ancient evil that's so dark and terrible it like melts <laughs> their mind permanently. Ow. That was the look on his that's face. That's why I don't read it. Like he'd just seen the coils of Lucifer. Like he'd just seen a demon. <laughs> the look on his face, you can oh, only no. get that way when you're having like the worst trip. And he, he came out leaned against the wall, did the wall slide down, slid down the wall, and then like passed out. And that was scary because the manager like put his hand on his chest and it's like, he's not breathing. He's not breathing. He's about to start CPR. And then the guy like popped up and he's like, kind of like has that, like, it's the funny thing about having a bad trip is this mix of terror and like being apologetic you know what i mean like you're sad you're sorry to die in front of people you're politely dying yeah and and so then um but anyway it's okay he didn't die thank god thank god that sounds more like alcohol than hallucinogens his eyes were so dilated man like i mean opioids maybe it was that heroin does heroin dilate your eyes yeah oh oh then it was probably heroin oh it must have been heroin then I just assumed it was some kind of deep... How come every time I get together with you, we start talking about drugs? What is, what is that? Ah. And we have so much going on in our lives. We have so much to look forward to. And <laughs> You know what it is, man? <laughs> We're in the gutter. Immediately. <laughs> drugs are not in the gutter. Last, I hear from so many people. Last, all right, I, I, I never finished explaining why this okay, is all your sorry. fault. Okay, so I was on Duncan's podcast, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, yes. my, my favorite podcast. Thank you. Uh, twice. And both times I ended up revealing all sorts of personal things I had no intention of revealing. Right. Uh, including the last, well, the last time I took acid and one of the more memorable times I took acid. Yes. Yeah. And so I've been hearing from people on Twitter mainly, everybody saying, dude, you know, you're my hero. And it's like, uh, you know, I let slip some secret story yeah. and yeah. suddenly everybody wants to hear all my drug tales. Well, see, that's the thing, man, is this whole like there's been this stupid 
uh, self-censorship that's been in the, for whatever reason, that's been in our in the zeitgeist for a while. I don't know yeah. what this thing is where mostly I think with actors and, and, and they try to, you know, whoever, if you're in the public eye, people have this silly idea that they should hide certain parts of themselves because you know, you're a role model to children. Yeah. Right. But that's, yeah. yeah. But really, I mean, if you want to be a role model, just be completely yourself. Like that's right. the best way you could be a role model to anybody. And hmm. this whole thing of like, I've, I've noticed that people seem to really get a kick out of, um, uh, per, like people being completely and a hundred percent honest about themselves, because then they trust you. Right? You know, how are you going to trust somebody who's like clearly concealing um, a great deal of who they are out of fear of what? What is what's going to happen? Like, but that story of you on top of a pyramid, tripping out and thinking that you're going to die. In what that does is, anytime someone's having a bad trip, who's listened to that podcast, they can always think, "Well, I'm not on top of a pyramid, <laughs> having been stung by a scorpion." At least there's that. <laughs> you know, it could always be. For me, I'll always know it could be much worse. Yeah, yeah, that's could, a good thing to keep in mind. And also the story, the old, you know, the thing where you actually, um, uh, the, the 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 where you recover from this experience and are. are even more uh, more awake or more alive from it you know the old shamanic death and rebirth thing yeah people love that yeah yeah and that's universal that's joseph campbell's uh, hero with a thousand faces yeah you seem like the kind of guy who's read that book sure i haven't read the whole book but i've actually I, i i know a lot about it and i've read like summaries i should read the whole book Do you know he was um he was invited to go speak at lucas ranch every year to the the guys who were working on star wars Uh, about mythology and you know how Star Wars had this mythological component yeah. and everything. And then when he died, a good friend of mine, Stanley Krippner, was invited to go and give the annual lecture up there. Wow, yeah. that is yeah. cool. Yeah. Anyway, so after the first uh, podcast with Duncan, uh, we went and had a beer, and Duncan was like, "Dude, why aren't you doing a podcast? You know, you should do a podcast." And it's like, I said, "I don't have, I can't learn all these editing, all this stuff. I don't have time." And turns out Duncan has a friend or a colleague or something yep. who does the editing, Dustin. Yes. Hi, Dustin. Hi, Dustin. And uh, so Dustin like puts it all together and they set up a web page and they're, yeah, they're taking care of it. It's great. Yeah, it's, it, it's a great, man, it's an incredible uh, medium. And it's like, it's, it's a thing where people like you and people like me can um, have a voice without having to go through the terrible yeah. maze that... Right. It leads into right. like a TV show. Which leads us back to your point about authenticity. Right. That this medium, you know, Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message, right? Right. And, and I think it's really true that the medium shapes what you're allowed to do so much. But because of me- media like this, we don't have to follow those rules. Like I, this summer in Vancouver, I was working on this, um, putting together a TV show, a pitch for a yep. TV show about sexuality. And the first conversation I had with my partner, Pete, the producer of the thing, he said, so what for, first he said, do you even want this to succeed? Do you really huh. want to be on TV? Do you want people to recognize you in the street? You know, right. cause that's a serious thing to think about. It changes yeah. your life. And then we talked about why it was a good idea, why it was important and so on. And then he said, okay, so what's, what's your persona going to be? 
And I said, I, I don't want to have a persona. I want to be real. Right. And he said, yeah, no, then you're, you're going to be the real guy with air quotes. Right? Oh, man. And he's like, you got to understand TV. You got to be the same thing week after week after week. Yeah. And that's not the way people really are. So if you're going to be the real guy, then you've got to like put on your real face. Wait, wait. I, that's a pretty interesting point that he made, which is that. Yeah, people aren't the same person week after week after week. Like some weeks right. you're in a shit mood, some weeks right. you're happy, yeah. some weeks you're uh, have a cold. Yeah. Right, I understand. Yeah. So that's that's actually a true. And what? Yeah, and so and on TV, you're a product. You're a persona, right? Yeah. I, and yeah. you want to see that same product every night or every day yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, do you think Jay Leno is that that's guy? Exactly is that stable yeah. a person all the way through? Right. Like, no, of course not. That's Bill Hicks. One of the funniest yeah. Bill Hicks. Jokes is about how Jay Leno is. Uh, when is he going to shoot himself on air? Have you ever heard that <laughs> no. joke? Oh my god, it's so funny! Like how depressed Jay Leno has to be after years of being a shill at that level. Like yeah. you just have got to want to kill yourself because it's just so fucking intense to have to like. You know the monologues are. There's advertisements in the monologues. You know that, right? No. A lot of people don't know that, but if you watch his monologue, somebody put together this wonderful montage of all the different uh, shill advertisements woven into his monologues. Like mention a product or something? Yeah, like, oh, it's the Wendy's girl's 40th birthday uh, today. Right. And then, like, uh, they cut to, like, you know, they'll try to do a little sketch, but it's, like, clearly an advertisement for Wendy's where he's talking to the Wendy's girl, and he's like, so, Wendy's is known for their square burgers, their notable burger shapes, you know, like, <laughs> the corporate line kind yeah. of woven into yeah. the thing. But, yeah, they get money for monologue advertisements. Holy shit. So, over time, time like as a comedian because Jay Leno is a comedian and over time if it, that part of yourself that's a comic and is only wants to be outside of rules and wants to be free is yeah. going to gradually just uh, wither and like psychic bed sores are going to form on that part of yourself and just start oozing depression <laughs> into your life. Yeah. Can we just pause for a moment to appreciate the genius of psychic bed sores? Yeah, just thick, Ow. thick, giant. Ow gaping oozing sores on your on your soul from uh having to like <laughs> soul sores soul sores from having to endure the abrasive uh the endless abrasion of that kind of thing because oh, you know after you make what uh, jay leno probably i mean we can only speculate how much money that guy has because he says that the money he lives off of is the money from the road like he goes on the road and makes money right. and the rest of the shit i guess just gets carried by dump trucks into some vault on his property and yeah. so like after a certain amount a certain amount of time you're you're just what are you you're like some experimental mouse on a corporate <laughs> treadmill doing interviews with these drones <laughs> night after night <laughs> uh, poor jay i know hey, a memo to dustin contact wendy's to get our, our cut right because yeah, we've mentioned wendy's yeah, we, yeah we yeah. get that should get at least 200 bucks yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, all right, here's the thing that I want to talk to you about. All right, you're the only professional comedian I've ever known. Right. I, I, I knew Len Belzer's brother. Okay. We were pals in New York, but I never really hung out with Len. Right. Is that his name, Len? Or am I getting? Are you talking up? about Richard Belzer? Richard. Yeah, Len was his brother. I was. Yeah. A, oh yeah. Right. Yeah, oh, that's what I thought Belzer's you meant. Brother, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I used to go to clubs and stuff and you, you always got in and that, but that was my yeah. only exposure to professional com uh, comedy other than, you know, typical watching stuff on TV and all that. But I mean, the comedian to me seems to be 
I mean, I, I know everybody's different and all that, but yeah. but someone who is a comedian seems to me to be a very interesting mixture of personality traits because a lot of comedy is, in, and in fact, the best comedy, I think, is about our insecurities, our fears, mm. you know, all this stuff that, that normal people are afraid to talk about. And yeah. that's, you know, the court jester kind of function of, yeah. of comedy. And yet it takes incredible courage to stand up in front of people. I do a fair amount of public speaking yeah. and, you know, I've seen that and that's everybody's greatest fear is standing up in front of people and then to reveal these hidden parts of yourself yeah. is like one of the most courageous things a human being can do. So there's this weird juxtaposition of, you know, look at me, I'm goofy. I'm, I'm, you know, insecure. I've, yeah. you know, all the, all this stuff. And yet the courage to right. participate in that. It's, it's a very interesting thing for me. Yeah. You hear that. I mean, that's something people say that the courage of getting on stage, like you hear that. And, and it's, I think way back when there was a kind of wild, courageousness in the beginning but and i still get terrified every every show i still get nervous really? about going oh yeah it's every i have to like um before a show i get i will stay in my hotel room and just kind of like it's weird i just smoke go into the ketamine smoke i would i don't even know where to get it but i would probably try that i actually you know i don't like on the road like there's certain you can smoke weed on the road but you can't do uh you know you can't do any of the any or i'm afraid to do any drug that fucks with um dopamine or serotonin because sure. i feel like you need to have this specific weird chemical balance in your right. brain to be able to be on stage it's very odd i think that's superstition but it's the courageousness thing let me just address that because i i don't see it anymore as courageousness i see it as a um i don't know i don't it's for some reason i, I like I, I don't even know it's weird it's more like overriding um you're overriding a, a certain type of you're you're overriding a pain more than anything it reminds me more of like going into an s&m dungeon than courageousness or something really? you know like you're like overcoming this um i think what must be a genetic thing that makes people not want to be rejected I, you know i've you've read that you've read about how rejection uh the experience of rejection is in a different part of the brain than other uh, negative experiences right. and the theory behind that being that being rejected from the tribe was doomed right so you that's the last thing you want so if you get in front of a group of people and they a crowd rejects you right. it's similar to being banished by the tribe right which is why bombing on stage like is just Ugh, it's yeah. the most fucked up feeling, man. It's the most fucked up feeling. Really? Oh yeah. It's like. Do you ever get used to that? I mean, not that you bomb very often. I presume you like, never get used to it, yeah. and, and you and as you do stand up more and more, you do bomb less because you've you learn to um you learn tricks. But you have to go through that, right? Well, yeah. And if I mean, you no work comic on, ever doesn't bomb ever, right? Well, if you're gonna work on new material, yeah, you know you're gonna bomb. Like if you're yeah. gonna work on new material, you're not gonna if you have like you, comic develop a set that will do good right and you learn you learn jokes and but if you're working on new stuff and you come out with new jokes they're just not going to do as good as right. and if they do do as good then it, it it's 
uh, an anomaly. Generally, if you come out with new jokes, some if you're lucky, you'll have a joke that you wow, that just totally works. But it, it, a joke is kind of like a uh, um, a living creature that every that, that feeds off of the attention of an audience, and every time that you go on stage, it, it grows a little bit more until finally it becomes the end end bit. But that's after many, many, many times of repeating it in front of a crowd. Right, you kind of learn. There's a collaborative collaboration that's happening with you and the audience where you're learning from their response right. what's funny about the joke or uh, tributaries that stretch out from the joke that lead to other places uh, so it grows yeah as a writer you don't get that. that that's one of the things I regret about about performing as a writer that you don't get that you get it from you know you show it to a friend you show it to your editor yeah and then it's in a book or an yep. article or something so it's like you don't you don't get a chance to work on your material in front of a crowd and see you know what does make them laugh what what do they find a little offensive what what's going over the line you don't get that immediate feedback well that's why writers have must the i think the best writers just must be incredibly honest with themselves because you must have to have this uh real strong bullshit detector or you must have to mm. have a, a, an editor or someone who's got a really strong bullshit detector that you trust yeah. so that you can pare away anything that is uh you know any of the f weak aspects of it writing you know you can't the worst writers are the ones who it seems like are tricking themselves. Right. And they're not being hard enough on themselves about their writing to go through like making it good. Yeah. It's so hard though. I mean, you, you write and you write something and then you go back six months later and look at it and it's like, uh, wow, that's uh, so different from what I thought it was. Yeah, I know. Sometimes better, sometimes worse, but it, you need a distance to really see it at all. Yes, you do. Yeah, you you just need. Yeah, you've got to be able to get away from it. You need if you're gonna have a. You need an audience in your head, I guess. Yeah. And you need that audience not to be too hard on you, yeah. and you need it to not be too That's nice. It. You got to internalize that. Yeah. yeah. So do you have a joke? Like you have jokes that that really work well and then you go in a different crowd and it, that joke falls flat oh yeah and is that your delivery or it's just a different group of people that the chemistry is different it's them? usually delivery it's usually what happens like usually i mean there are crowds that suck hmm. but these are far far less it's kind of like dallas you know what it's like it's like a it's like a mountain climber if you're a rock climber you can't, there's going to be rock faces that are impossible to climb. Right. But generally, if you're a really good rock climber, if you've seen like really good rock climbers, they can get up any rock. Right. You know, they just know how to do it. So that, so I, I think as a comedian, you get better and better at tuning in to audiences, regardless of what their vibe happens to be. And, uh, and, okay. and so the, and, 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 um, you, Generally, if a, if a show doesn't go that well, I blame myself and I always think, well, you just didn't. I, I can always look back uh -huh. at moments that happened that I didn't address, that I didn't go into those moments, right. you know, and I, it's it's kind of like surfing. It's uh, it's right. like you sh as a surfer, pretty much any wave you can ride if you know what you're doing. Right. But if you try to ride um, a wave 
based on the way you've ridden other waves, right. then it's not going to work as well. If you have these rules, you know, because right. an audience is a wave, you know, it's a way it's like a, some, it's a temporal wave that is the combination of every single person in that audience, right. which has created this gestalt and your ability to connect with that gestalt and tune it into your idea of the universe or your subjective <laughs> understanding of life is yeah. that's what stand-up comedy is. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking profound, man. It's fun. It's I love it. It's the, it's my it's one of my it's one of the trippiest things ever. It's one of the strangest trippiest things ever. And is it different? I mean, I'm sure it's different, but like qualitatively, is it different if you're in a crowd of 50 people versus 500? Yeah, you know what I mean. Is there more homogene? Like, are crowds of 500 more similar? So, like sampling error. You know, if you got if you sample 500 people. You're, you're more likely to get a consistency of results as yeah. opposed to 50. Oh, There's a lot more variation. Right. Wow. You know that's I mean? cool. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, yeah, totally, man. It's, it, it's, I always looked at it as, um, you know, when I was just starting to do stand up at the comedy store, this comedian, so weird. I'd I'd made, I'd barely performed at all, and I and nobody was in the original room, which is where they do them all the shows and, um. You have to like to even get a, be allowed to perform in that room. It takes time, and so mm. like no, I thought no one was in there. It was during the day when I was working there, and I'd gone on stage with a microphone to an a completely empty room, and <laughs> was just like talking into the microphone, <laughs> pretending like right. I was performing nice, for people, nice. just to see what it felt like. And uh, this comic who had been in, been who knows probably sleeping back there, like was like started explain this strange trick. Which is fascinating, and I still think about it to this day. It's like, if you can get the right side of the room laughing, and you can get the left side of the room laughing, then the middle of the room will start laughing, because there's laughter on both sides of them, and they'll feel like they should be laughing, no matter what you're right. saying. So there's this, there's this in, in, a, in, a, in a big crowd, if there are pockets of non-laughers surrounded by laughers, those pockets will... will tend to start laughing just out of a kind of uh, uh, mm. crowd response. You right. want to you want to be part of what's happening around you. Right. So there is that element of it too, because comedy is um, there's some strange f- uh, form of hypnosis in what you're doing. Yeah, you know, and and um, so bigger crowds are easier than smaller crowds. Yeah, and the cool thing about the comedy store, I learned to do it is they will put you up in it, it's shitty times. So there, you know, there's times where you'll perform at midnight in front of four people who have just seen 11 comedians. <laughs> they're drunk. They're, they're tired. Tired. <laughs> they don't even know why they're there. They're like seeing four of you on stage because they yeah. have double vision. <laughs> and so the result of that. Quadruple vision. Quadruple yeah, vision. Yeah, yeah, right. You end up learning. So it teaches you to be in the moment. Oh, you know? my. Yeah. And so, so if you go on after someone who bombs, yeah. are you in a worse position or a better position? I think worse. There's some comedians who think that's good because they're like, well, if he, if he did that bad, it'll be easy to like, to recover. To recover. Yeah, but I, I don't see not. that. I like to follow someone who just crushed, unless it's someone who like did nuclear bomb crushing. <laughs> like once I, at my own show, man, yeah. I used to do this show at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and I don't know what the fuck at I the was saying. Cemetery? Yeah. 
they have a, a Masonic lodge there in the cemetery, and it's a and great. You're doing a comedy show in a cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's contrast. Comedy's all contrast, you know. So it's like <laughs> you get you get a you stuff. Hey, come on down to the mortuary. Field of trust. Field of corpses. <laughs> Come, come to a field of corpses, and we will make you laugh because oh, it's it's man. like you you are there's contrast, yeah. you know. There's an immediate contrast there, and also the dynamics of the Masonic Lodge were, you know, the Masons knew what they were doing when it came to public speaking, really? you know, because they're yeah, because they're all about channeling energy and uh. who knows what else. But the um the so yeah, at that show, the show that I put on, I I. Uh, it was like the best show that I ever put on there. It was fucking Sarah Silverman, mm. Zach Galifianakis, Jesus. Tim Heidecker from the Tim and Eric show, and me. And for some dumb re- reason, hubris, hubris, pure hubris, I put myself after Sarah Silverman, Zach Galifianakis, and Tim Heidecker, three of the, my, to, me, to me, the funniest people on earth. Right. And, and man... Boy, did I bomb. Really? Oh, yeah, dude. Really? I couldn't follow that wave of yeah. genius. And, yeah. and like, um, you know, Galifianakis, man, it was like, he's, it was, it made me feel like a street sweeper directly <laughs> after they bombed Hiroshima. Like, just, just, just like ashes of what must have been a, oh a city. God. Like, he's so funny. But, yeah, he's so funny. But so in that case, following like see a series of explosive. Um, but did you really bomb, or did you just felt like you bombed? Oh no, that if you feel like you bombed, you bombed. Really? Oh sure. You never have a show where you think, oh, that sucked, and other people say, no, dude, that was great. Doesn't matter if uh, other people coming up and saying you did good is 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 you can't. Yeah, like, no, of course. But I mean, audience audience reaction. There is an objective measure of that. You know, right? when you bombed, really, your heart won't lie to you. You would really? like to not know. You would like huh. to believe that you hadn't bombed. You know when you've done good, and you know when you've bombed. Right. And when you bombed, you just feel it. Like, and even even if the audience is laughing, sometimes you know you've bombed because you oh. didn't do what you wanted. You didn't you, you didn't do what you wanted to do. Mm. You, maybe you fell back on old material or you used some sloppy techniques or maybe you did something hacky up there, but you know when you've bombed. Oh, uh, but see, I, I know I, I was talking to a friend of mine, a musician, interviewing him actually, and he was talking about how sometimes he'll play a gig and he thinks it's, he felt bad. He felt like that, yeah. that was no good. But then he'll talk to people in the audience or he'll hear from people in the audience or he'll go back and listen to the recording. Yeah. And it'll be like, fuck actually i played really well right it felt like i was screwing up yeah. but the objective recording of what he did that night is really good and i get that with writing sometimes where i'll write something and be like yeah whatever and then i look back on it later and it's like oh shit that's huh. better than i thought sure you know it fits together in ways i didn't notice when i was writing it right well you know what i guess you can't get too like yeah, I guess like thinking, like getting a, I think it's another form of hubris to be like, I know exactly yeah, how I've done. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess you can't be that like stringent about something, yeah. but. But I'm sure that people always, there's ego involved. So people are always coming up to you and saying, hey, that was great. Yeah. Even if it wasn't. Yeah, you, you know, just, I guess, that's I guess. not reliable. There's, you know, those moments when you're writing, like, and they don't happen all the time, but you definitely just feel that connection happen. Yeah. That th- flow. Flow. Yeah. That, that thing. Yeah. That to me is the 
compass, the true north, is right. that feeling. And if that feeling hasn't happened, then you know that feeling hasn't happened. So you know if that flow feeling hasn't happened up there and you've gone into an auto- automatic mode, like yeah. the, Dis- the, the Disney automatons where right. you put money in and they're just doing their right. thing, phoning right. it in, as they say. Yeah. You know when that's happened. And if that worked and the audience believed that was real, right. great. Right. They believed it, that's fine. But you right. know that you didn't give them the real transmission because right. if you're in that flow state then you become a conduit for some kind of greater thing now right. what what that is who the fuck knows you right. become the voice of the gestalt the voice of the crowd you become the voice of the mind of the crowd and you're like a circus mirror right. taking the mind of the crowd and warping it and twisting <laughs> it like you know like a weird balloon animals yeah. out of whatever yeah. the energy is and like those are the jokes and that's an awesome feeling yeah but let me interrupt you sure sometimes I imagine you're flowing. You're in the flow. You're in the moment. Yeah. The audience isn't getting it. That I mean, I've is seen not that a bomb. Bill, Bill Hicks. I've seen that with Andy Kaufman yeah. a lot. Yeah. Where they're in a moment of genius. Not a bomb. And the audience doesn't catch it. They don't know what the hell's going That's on. That's fine. That's yeah. fine, man. You know you've done it. Right. Like, you know when you're doing it. Like, right. that's fine. To me, that's fine. Right. That's much better than if you're, if, if they're loving it and you know that it's a fraud. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, if you begin to get too concerned, like, you want the audience to have a good time right. and you want them to have a great night. But if you're, if you get, in other words, if like any artist starts making their art, with a with a feeling of like what the audience wants the art to be, right. then the art will not be as pure or as incredible as it is if you're like I'm going to do something coming for me, right. and hopefully it will the it will be met with enjoyment. Yeah. But that's a byproduct. Byproduct. That's not the point. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, that's uh, like jazz. You know, the greatest jazz initially, or the greatest con- uh, classical music initially. Nobody understood what the hell was happening. Yeah. Right. You know, it was like, yes. hey, that's not music. You yeah. Know? And then later the culture catches up to it. Yeah. So then that brings us to another thing I find really interesting about, about comedy is that it's such a community of comedians. Yeah. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that, is that you value the opinion of other comedians in a way that you can't ever value the, the opinion of audiences. Sure. Because, because there is this art to it. And a comedian could see you and say, fuck, that guy's in the zone. That guy's flowing. Yeah. This is great material. Yeah. Too bad the audience isn't getting yep. it, but who gives a shit? I recognize this is great material. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's Bill Hicks, right? I mean, he wasn't, as far as I know, he wasn't really that well known. He died young. Yep. But he's so beloved by comedians that he lives on you know what 20 years after he died or something that's right well he you know it's just he was pushing he was fucking fearless yeah and 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 um but interestingly about enough about bill hicks is if you look back at he started stand-up at a very young age and his stand-up was very it started off in a very like classical set-up punchline way it was very you know technically great and then it just sort of shifted into the subversive kind of carlin-esque lenny bruce societal commentary anger david cross does it too well you know carlin started the same way with his whole straight 
yes. phase lasted a long time. That's how it works. Is Billy started smoking some baked. weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it works. Yeah. You know, you start off with this thing. You learn. Sure. You learn the basics, just like when you learn art or any other thing. Music, you learn the whatever. basics. You gotta learn this. Yeah. And then you once you know the basics, then you begin to like have these moments on stage where you realize that your jokes are were are, aren't even it at all. Right. And then then you start having these incredible moments that are like, oh shit, this is it. Right. This is it. Yeah. And then you want to start cacking catching that lightning in a bottle but that lightning won't be caught right. in the normal way right you know that lightning is like comes from a connection it comes from being in the moment it comes from a kind of decision to let go of expectation and just dive into that specific moment in time which is why when you watch stand-up on tv you're not seeing stand-up comedy in the real way any more than if you watch someone make food on the on the, on the food network you're not you're not getting the real experience. You're not smelling the right. food. You're not tasting the food. Right. So when you go and see a comic, it's not just the comic. The comic is the right. nucleus of a cell right. that consists of the club, everyone in the audience, what happened that day, what the weather's like, and what other uh, what uh, whatever other unidentifiable quantum mechanics right. happen to be happening in that moment in time. That's a stand-up show. So when so when you you know people see Bill Hicks and they're like ah you know Bill Hicks wasn't that funny i don't know i don't like bill hicks's he's just not funny it's like yeah but you weren't there in person right you don't know what that felt like to be in the room right when he was tuning into the audience yeah. and like electrifying people and freaking people out and yes. you know people went to a bill hicks show i imagine you know they, oh let's go to hear the comedy honey you know yeah and, the, and the, they walk out of there with their fucking balls in their hand yes. i mean it's like the, it's nothing they'd ever seen or heard before they like, went to a black mass they went yeah, to a, yeah. a a cultural black mass where all the precepts or all the ideas they had about popular culture got put on a fucking yeah. subjective altar and decapitated, <laughs> eviscerated, flayed, sliced up, ignited. And the end result is like yeah. you leave. And also because it's funny and people are laughing, you're getting, you're getting hypnotized. And then you leave there exactly like you said with this, your fucking paradigm has been just diced in yeah. front of you. Yeah. And now you, you either like reject the comedian or you like your world has become a little bigger right because he blasted some illus illusions or some false idols you yeah. know that's what he did he was smashing false idols yeah yeah Andy Kaufman also I mean I love the way you know like you can make people laugh by saying something funny and you can make them laugh by making them nervous yes you know and he seemed to really be focusing in that you know, making people laugh because they were confused. Well, yeah, it's, it's more of like a, um, you sort of uh, look at the dynamic of any show, any public speaking engagement, anything that involves someone on an elevated platform talking to a group of people. Right. And you get far enough back from that and it is absurd. It is hilarious and absurd. But as a human, we take it very seriously. But right. if you were to go in your backyard, for example, and you saw a squirrel had, had an elevated stage that the squirrel was sitting on and there was a group of squirrels sitting around the squirrel <laughs> intently listening to the squirrel mm -hmm. chitter. It would be the funniest, most absurd, silly thing you'd ever seen in your life. Uh -huh. So in the same way as when, when humans do it, right. it's an absurd relationship. Right. So Kaufman was making commentary on the 
absurdity of that kind of uh, situation where someone's been elevated to that place. If you've elevated me to this place, well, then I'm going to torture you. Right. I'm going to read The Great Gatsby. I'm going to like yeah. create. I'm going to use your uh, your submission to me as a tool to uh, shine a spotlight on the absurdity of this very thing itself. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like anti-comedy or dissol- it dissolves itself. Yeah. You know, uh, Tim Heidecker from the Tim and Eric show, his stand-up, he, he's like, a lot of people try to, um, you see a lot of people like, oh, they're just trying to be Kaufman. But then Heidecker is like, is a, one of the greatest conceptual comics I've ever seen because he is really good at like creating those awkward moments and, but making them funny. Huh. You know, because Kaufman, that's an important thing to realize about Kaufman is that it was awkward, but I think there were huge payoffs. Yeah. Like, it was funny. Yeah. A lot of comics will try to, like, do this anti-comedy thing, and they'll get up there and think they're being, like, brilliant artists by not making people laugh like and making Andrew people... Andrew Dice Clay. I never understood that. Well, he's great, man. He? Dice, now, I now Dice is like, yeah, Dice, it is, you're right, though, that is conceptual comedy, and it is, like, a character comedy, but right. he, but it, he's hilarious. Like, he, he crushed yeah when he performs he crushes and you with dice it's like you get this like first of all someone in the people in the audience will still get offended right yeah and it's well, he's like, talking about having his tongue up a chick's ass. I, mean, I remember like seeing yeah. him on a show or some. I don't know where he was, Letterman or yeah. something. And he started by saying, so I got my tongue up this yeah. chick's ass. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also the time when he was doing that. Yeah, it was in yeah, like was, 90s. It something. was in 90s. It, that was still shocking. Yeah. Like when he was diving into it at that time, there was still, that was still like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like I remember on the bus, his, those dumb rhymes on the bus when I was going to school, we'd listen to it and just like, Oh my God, it's so, it's blasphemy. You know, it's, it was so much more intense then. That's another thing about stand-up comedy is it's uh, it's very similar, I think, to the way geologists, um, like to, to really understand stand-up comedy, you have to understand the, the, the sedimentary layer that the comedy is within, uh, the zeitgeist right, that the comedy is right. within. Good point. Because it's such a reaction to the zeitgeist and the zeitgeist is always changing. Yeah. So, you know, that's why a lot of times you'll listen to some comedians and it's dated. Yeah. But it's like, you have to understand, you have to like put yourself in the mindset of someone listening to it at that time. Yeah, sure. And then you'll really appreciate what it is. Yeah. You know, you're talking about Kaufman that reminded me of Elvis, of course. He had, he did that amazing Elvis impersonation yes and the same musician I was talking to told me on and he he said he had this on very good uh, authority that Elvis used to come in his pants during concerts wow you ever heard of a comedian coming no hasn't happened yet as far as I know yeah that would be interesting I mean if you really like hit hit a moment and just have a spontaneous jizz jizz in your pants it would be the best then it would also be great if you like say to the audience I just just you have to say that you just came (laughs) in yeah you have to there'd be a code of honor I think a code of honor I mean not only that but to get into the Guinness Book of World Records (laughs) the first comedian to jizz in their pants on stage I hope it's you Duncan oh me too hey when you're on stage and you're rolling do you ever like just abandon material yeah crazy shit that's coming into your 100%. head 100% really yeah absolutely that must be scary as hell because you might get out into a, a tangent that you can't get back it's from, ecstatic right? man when that happens when that's a good show you know you're in a good show when you've departed from your material right and you're fully in the moment and you're fully like 
embodying the energy of the moment and and it's like new stuff is coming that's how jokes will happen right that's how like you'll remember stuff that you've said on stage and suddenly you've got this new joke which is why you've got to record your sets so you go back and listen to grab those moments because you just say something spontaneously you could forget all about it but that's the core of a of a bit that's it because on stage your mind is really firing Uh, you know in all cylinders so it's and you're feeding off the energy in the room that you can't recreate at home that's it yeah. Exactly. So what do you think about like Dave Chappelle just giving it up and walking away? I understand that why he did that. Like I totally mm. understand why he did that. He's this really smart guy. Yeah. Dave Chappelle is a really, yeah. really yeah. smart guy who smokes. I think he smoked a lot of weed and he's, I don't know for sure if he was like getting really high during that time, but I imagine like the something about dilating your mind during the experience of ultimate fame and looking around at what really is happening it could be quite horrifying you know where where cuz you go you do you when you get into the tv kind of fame then suddenly you're being watched you've you've gone into this bizarre orwellian universe where yeah. you know when you see like really famous people walking on the street with a bag of clothes or the famous picture of Glenn Danzig buying cat litter, uh, you know, Dan, you know, Glenn Danzig from the Misfits. He's like this no. punk, he's like this punk icon, like, wow. but, um, <laughs> metal, at least it wasn't toilet paper, uh, you know, but still like, <laughs> think about the, think about that dimension. Yeah. Think about living in that universe where if you leave the house and you want to just do a normal thing, Whatever the fucking thing is, man. Yeah. Let's say your hemorrhoids are hurting right. and you need some hemorrhoid cream or yeah. what is some embarrassing thing. You want some, you just a human thing, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. You're not supposed to be a real person. You're yeah. a product. And You're everywhere you go, yeah. there are these fucking low, the lowest level photographers on earth, yeah. the paparazzi, scum, yeah. scummy people. They're fought, they're waiting for you and snapping shots and asking you really direct personal questions about a divorce that just happened to you yeah. or some 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 normal thing and they're not doing it in a way where they're interested they're doing it in a way where they want to fucking exploit you sure. so they can make money off of the video that they made yeah and that's the rest of your life yeah that's gonna get pretty intense after a while yeah. I, I would imagine and you know the story about his father right when when he like you say, he's very smart. Both his parents are professors. Yes. Were. I don't know if they're still alive or still working, but I think his mother, one of them started the first American uh, African-American studies program in the country huh. in Ohio. At, uh, was it Oberlin is in Ohio, I think? I'm not sure. Yeah, at the, one of these like liberal small private colleges in Ohio. Right. And then the other parent was in D.C. So... Chappelle grew up mostly in Ohio, the only black kid, you know, in his right. in his school. And then at 13 or 14 or something, moved to live with the other parent in D.C., black world. Right. You know, and he was doing stand up at 13, 14, 15, you know, before he could get in legally to the club. He right. was on stage. And uh, when he decided not to go to college and to just be a professional stand up, his father said, Look, I'll support you in this. You know, you got to do it. You're really talented. Do it. But just made me one promise. If it ever starts to seem like work, quit. Wow. Because what you're doing is art. Right. It's not work. If it's right. work, quit. 
Yeah. You know, get a job that yeah. pays better and has more stability in healthcare right. if you're going to work. Right. You know? So when, when that whole thing happened, I, I was reminded of that. And he did a, an interview on, uh, uh, the what's that thing where they the theater? Um, oh, uh, inside the, the actor's yeah, studio. Yeah, great interview there. After he came yeah. back from South Africa and he talked about why he yeah. made this decision and all that, and he recounted that story. Man, yeah, I to walk away like I, I think it's also a sign of how much of an artist he is because to to walk away from that much money, yeah, that says everything about him. Like, yeah. and I've I've seen him do stand up live, and it was fucking great, really? man. It was great. It was so good. And uh, like, he's a genius, probably. He's probably a genius. But yeah, I love that because there's the opposite of people like him. And and there are people who have zero talent like yeah. comedically but they're really good networkers yeah. and so they they will uh they get they, that's all they want right is all they want is to get their picture taken all they want is yeah, money right. all they want is that kind of gratification but they don't give a fuck about the art right. at all in fact they don't even like it yeah. they don't even want to do it yeah it's a very strange thing you know because those people both 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 sides are kind of cursed like the artist who loves doing it but doesn't really want the fame is cursed because they're probably going to end up with a lot of success because they love doing it so right. much. So why do they love doing it though if they don't want the fame? Well, it's a byproduct, man, because the the the, uh, the um I mean, don't you want Social approval. If you're yeah. standing up getting people to laugh, isn't that largely about social approval? Yes. Right. You do. You do. Like, look, no one, anyone who's like, well, actually, I ha I do know people. I know some like, I know like one guy who's a, I would consider him like a savant, like a super genius. And he's like, his music is incredible. And he's like a, he's like a genius. And, and like, I, pl I, I played one of his songs um on a, on a, podcast i did and just this wave of people being like what song was that what is that what was that what was that what is that what is what is that and like i never talked to the guy because he's a recluse but like out of the blue he calls me he's like hey you can't put my music on you can't put i don't want my music out there i'm like <laughs> i'm like people love your music yeah. like it's really really good and people love it. he's like yeah i don't want i don't care uh -huh. he's like i don't want he doesn't want he doesn't want to be famous right and he's super talented and he would on his albums he would put his name is Anonymous Non-Robot 2000 because like he didn't want people to know who he was. And oh, wow. so, 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 um, uh, those people do exist, but I think there's something exhilarating about being embraced by a, a, a lot of people and it's nurturing and yeah. it fills you with con and it feels really good. Yeah. But I think that there's, that's com comparable to a nice swim at the beach where you can body surf on some nice waves. Yeah. But then there's the Chappelle level right. of tsunami, tsunami yeah. where you're just going to get rolled, man. And yeah. you just know there's no way you're, you're, you're only going to be able to, you're only going to be able to maintain being on top of that wave for a certain amount of time, but right. eventually you're going to get the old American m version of the Mayan child sacrifice, which is you're going to tumble <laughs> Rip your heart out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what they do. Yeah. It's just, it's the most bizarre thing where they, they take a, they, the, uh, uh, the networks will take a person, bring them in, 
raise them up, give them the best, give them endless money, yeah. the best food, the best, you get the best food, the best clothes, the best women, everything that apparently they used to give like kids and Mayan sacrifices, you know, they'd yeah. like oil their skin and just give them, <laughs> bana- give them all the fucking great food and like give them everything they wanted. And then one day, bam, sacrifice. Yeah. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, Chappelle's insane. Chappelle's yeah. crazy. He's a drug addict. He's yeah. a junkie. Must be a junkie drug right. addict. Right. You know, and it's like, you were just loving this man. Yeah. And now he's like some vile, repugnant thing. Yeah. But I mean, people can't possibly understand walking away from $20 million or whatever it was. You know, it's like for most people, that's just incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't understand that. uh, Yeah. I mean, you know what? This conversation so good, I completely spaced on the commercial break. Oh, let's take a break. Dustin told me I have to take a commercial break. Where are we in? We're 46. Oh, we're way past, but that's cool. So, uh, commercial break. You're probably better at this than I am. Break! No, but we have to say things. We have to say things. Uh, we have to say, like, go to feralaudio.com and yes. you can donate. Click on that donate button. Yes. You can also click on the Amazon affiliates button yes. for all your Amazon purchases, yep. which gives us a cut of Amazon's money, but doesn't cost you anything extra, right. amazingly. So we get to screw over Amazon a little bit yep. together. Let's do that. You can check out other podcasts at feralaudio.com, including my personal favorite, the Duncan Trussell family out. Yes. Yes. Always entertaining. And what else am I supposed to say here? Oh, iTunes. If you like the podcast, please go to iTunes, rate it, and make a comment. Apparently, that's really important. For Very important. Reason. Yeah, do that because their algorithm, that's what they, that's like what pushes you up the charts is the ratings and the, com- and the, com- and the comments. Yeah. Strangely, I looked at the two that I was on on yours yes. and the, the popularity or whatever was yeah. really low. Well, that's, but I know they got a lot of downloads. Well, no, that's because you looked at them probably either right. Right after I posted them or well, just today. Yeah. It's, the popularity is not going to stay high on them forever. Like it kind of moves oh. up the line with the most recent ones. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it it's not like a cumulative thing. No, that's a that's that the popularity gauge go like goes up when they first come out and then drops down oh. over time because people kind of move up the line of podcasts. Oh, got you know? it. Got it. OK. In any case, please do those things. And, uh, and yeah, we'll and bookmark right your bookmark that Amazon link. You guys bookmark it so that because if you shop at Amazon, you can always just click on that and it's really cool Amazon does that yeah it's, it's kind of badass amazing. every time I get I mean I get like $30 every three months or something yeah through our with sex at dawn website and it's always like wow a little free money that's yeah, alright it's pretty cool yeah, yeah okay we're gonna take a break bye all right, and we're back with Duncan Trussell. I'm sitting in Dunkle, Duncan, Dunkle Trussell. Dunkle Trussell. Twas- <laughs> I always, you know, strangely in my head, you're Duncan T. Russell. That's a mu- that sounds mu- much cooler. It's it's like a distinguished, you know, actor from the fifties. Duncan or something. T. Russell. That's sounds, Duncan T. Russell. Sounds more badass for sure. Yeah, maybe you should change your name. To Duncan I- T. Russell. It also, it could be, you know, the T-Rex. There's something T or... I think it just sounds kind of like... It makes me think of, like, 
Duncan T. Russell. <laughs> sounds like a kind of like a Texas a Texan. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, it sounds like a, a Texan like oil tycoon or something. <laughs> Duncan T. Russell. Yeah. Or no, maybe someone who sells mattresses in Texas. <laughs> there you go. I in Topanga. I'm staying in Topanga. Somebody had some old mattresses by the side of the road. They, yeah. They stood them up vertically and spray painted a message. They wrote nothing really mattress anymore oh that's pretty cool that was pretty cool mattresses are pretty disgusting man especially the ones you find by the side of the road oh mattresses like a hotel mattress do you ever think about that like when you're in a hotel i try not to because when i was in vancouver they put me in the honeymoon suite which i for a second like this is awesome and then like i'm laying (laughs) in the bed and start realizing like this is just a sponge for jizz (laughs) Jizz. i'm sleeping on a jizz sponge essentially that's all a mattress is right (laughs) well not if it's a waterbed well, that's true. You know, I had a king-sized waterbed with a leopard skin cover when I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> I swear it's true. Did you ever get, did you fuck on that bed? Yeah. yeah. Is it, I've known, I've never had sex on a waterbed. Is it, what's it like? Well, I mean, you talk about riding a wave. Right. <laughs> Is it hard? It seems like it'd be harder to fuck on a waterbed. No, no. And the thing about a waterbed that's interesting uh, and conducive to to lovemaking is that you I mean, it's like if you put your arm under someone's body, yeah, their body isn't really pushing your arm into something immovable. Oh, you, the whole thing just that's moves nice. down. So it's it's almost an anti gravity kind that's of that's kind of cool. It's been a long time. I mean, I, I got rid of that when I was went to college. So and I don't think I've been on a waterbed since, so it's distant memory. What about, I, I just saw, I was passing a sex shop, and I saw some kind of, like, props. Have you seen those props, like, that you, like, that's supposed to, like, elevate the the woman's ass in a certain way? To oh, make, the pillows? Yeah, yeah. Does that stuff work? Is that real, or is that a scam? No, it, it works, but you could also just, like, grab a pillow off your sofa oh. here and tuck that under. I see. That's that's for women, that's, like, G-spot stimulation. Uh-huh. For, you know, diff- women have different parts of their... They're lady bits that respond differently. So for some women, that angle is really good. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. Sure, Do all women, sure. can you, can any, is squirting real? Squirting's real. It's not something that all women do or, or have the. So it's a mutation? Well, I wouldn't say mutation. I mean, you know, any more than, you know, some people's noses are bigger than others or, you know, whatever. They've, you know, it's not a mutation, but it's a very a variable, a physiological, anatomical variable, I would say. But I read that it's fake, that when women are squirting, they're just peeing. No, it's definitely not pee. Yeah, it's been, you know, there's been research, you know, people have captured samples and done, you know, chemical analysis. It's not pee. It's, uh, it's a secretion samples. of... Uh, of a gland. I can't remember which, what the name of the gland. It could be Cowper's gland. I can't uh, remember exactly. But yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, documented, demonstrated. But I've seen video of this, man. And it seems like after they've squirted, like they are going to have the, like, bad dehydration. Like you can't have that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about the videos. God knows everything can be faked on video. I remember the, like, early porn. They used to, they would, they had a, like a sack with cornstarch and water mixture and they would run a little uh tube along the guy's uh, dick you're right so that you couldn't see it from right. the camera angle right. and so these like giant cum shot extravaganzas wow all fake 
you know, I mean, you see some of those things. It's like you're like, there is no way. There's no way. You I know? just you're like either that or like I'm something's wrong with me. <laughs> well, that's the problem with porn, right? Yeah. And and fashion and all yeah. this other crap that it ends up because they want to magnify these these qualities that people are attracted to. They end up making everybody feel completely inadequate. Yes. I knew this guy in New York years ago. Strange story, actually, because his wife. The way I met this guy was his wife. I met his wife somehow through some, I don't remember, some business thing. This is in the mid eighties. I was young. I was like 20, mid twenties. And this woman said, I got to know her a little bit. And then she asked me to have a drink one day and said she had something really serious she wanted to talk to me about. We hadn't like had sex or anything, a little flirtation. And yeah. She, and she said she wanted to, uh, she wanted me to impregnate her mm. because her husband had leukemia. And the radiation or the chemo or whatever he was getting had made him infertile, but uh, they wanted to have a child. Yeah. And, you know, she thought I was young and fertile and blah, blah, blah. And I was a prime candidate. And so I went and met him and, and hung out with him and got to know him a little bit. I never did impregnate his wife, but his job at the time was, this is the 80s, right? So before Photoshop and all that. He was an airbrush expert, right. right? And one of his biggest clients was either Playboy or Penthouse. I don't remember which. And he told me that like one of the things he did a lot was for the centerfolds, they would take one woman's legs, another woman's torso, <laughs> and a third woman's head right. and fuse them all together. Right. And that was your centerfold. Wow. Right? And the other thing he did was they would have these women, really large-breasted women, they would wrap an ace bandage around her neck down under her breasts to support, hold her breasts up, right? And then take all these shots. And then his job was to airbrush out the ace bandage. So her breasts just seemed to be suspended in space. That's amazing. Right. You know, so I, what a bunch of bullshit, you know, every, it's just bullshit everywhere we look. Yeah, it's that's incredible. right. Yeah. Out there, like in, in, in that world. Yeah, for sure. In the world of magazines and TV, it's all crap. Yeah. Well, that we world, real- which is this world. Yeah. Here we are in L.A. You know, it's Jesus everywhere. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, hopefully, I mean, I think that's part of what people like about podcasts is that it's it's, it's real. It's real. And yeah. you're it's because you I, when I talk to people about these things, they always are like, man, I, I thought I was the only one. Right. thinking this stuff right and it's like no we're all thinking this stuff pretty yeah. much all of us are thinking this stuff but they've gotten us to believe right. that what we're supposed to be thinking is this horrific candy box of the most materialistic tasteless bullshit yeah you know it's like a nutritional deficiency i think i think a lot of people have like an intense nutritional deficiency that comes from being completely absorbed in mass media and not reading enough or not um Explore, like, you know, experiencing, experiencing, you know what I mean? It's, I mean, I I look at the modern world and see, I think nutritional deficiency is a great way to think of it. It's like they take away the vegetable and they give you, you know, the, the the canned, boiled, denaturefied substance that's called the vet. You know what I mean? Instead of cherries, they give you cherry flavoring and they take, they take the essence out of everything and fuck it all up and then sell you a cheap copy of it. Weird. Anyway, let's not get angry. Why not? Let's get angry. You know, I agree. Hey, hecklers. How do you deal with hecklers? Do you get hecklers? 
Yeah. Do you I've, like hecklers? No. Is there a positive side to No hecklers? one likes hecklers. I, I, no, no one likes hecklers. It's an inevitability that no one likes. So, like, you will... So, who are hecklers? They're like the drunks. guys who leave... They're like trolls on the internet. It's a, it's, it, it varies. There's a... There's a well, you could... There's an entire... It's like an... It's like... There's so many different categorizations of hecklers. Really? You've got the, you know, classic version of the heckler, which is someone who's just being malicious. You know, usually like it's someone who's a combination of like drunk and like really insecure. Like you like so what'll happen is like there's inevitably in social groups, there's always one person who feels like they're the alpha or like they're the smartest or they're the most important or they always they think they're just they're just so great (laughs) and so that person ends up at a comedy show Uh, and they can't stand the fact uh, that there's someone on stage and the attention is being diverted from them to the person on stage so why the hell do they go to a comedy well usually usually they get dragged by their friends Ah, okay so they're sitting there and they all of a sudden all the insecurity in their life starts like building up in them and they feel like they're you know somehow entitled or more important or I, I mean I like you know I've what they don't understand is that you if you've done comedy for a long time it's very similar to someone who's like a martial artist who's been fighting a lot you know what I mean yeah. so like you know generally how to deal with whatever they're going to throw at you. Right. Not all the time, but generally, depending on where you're at, you're, you're probably going to be able to at least shut it down. And if you can't shut it down, you're going to, like, in two seconds, you can get them thrown out of the club. You have all the power. Right. So it's a silly relationship. Right. But I try to not, just because I don't, I don't want to, even if someone's heckling, you don't, you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to hurt somebody, you know? <laughs> but like, well, in the way you just described it, I mean, if you said that, what you just described like yeah. you know let me oh yeah great let me explain what a heckler is yeah a heckler is a guy who's so fucking insecure he can't stand to see anyone else getting attention yeah i imagine if you just said that yeah. most of them would fucking well, rogan away. rogan does that like when you watch rogan do what he does to a heckler right it is really really speaking of martial arts fucked up man yeah. like he i've seen him destroy people like destroy people like, i've seen him like just because they did but they in a way they deserve it it's always like some drunk asshole it's like some drunk girl who's like thinks she's like somehow like in that one like 45 minute period she can't fucking stand the fact that like everyone <laughs> isn't looking at her and then right. it just ends up always just just the because the audience does not like hecklers either right the audience yeah. isn't like oh this is great you're yeah. really helping the show the audience right. is like they paid money to see you right. they don't want to have to deal with some asshole so the mm. audience you have the entire tribe against you and you're drunk and it's never going to work out <laughs> so you're you're going to end up getting thrown out of the club after being humiliated and your yeah. friends for the rest of your life will talk about the time <laughs> that you you like shit yourself in front of an entire crowd essentially <laughs> there's another good shtick you can do i mean those, between that and the insecurity i can't imagine anyone making a peep man well no i mean they but you know the 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 uh you, generally though i mean the heckling is something that 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 malicious heckler is a uh, more rare right than the helpful heckler which uh, is like someone who um you know like in in vancouver there was a girl who 
had listened to a podcast I did with my mom and my mom has cancer and so it was a really like intense podcast and I'm doing a stand-up show and this girl yells out I love your mom Duncan during a stand-up show and it's like okay that's great but there's no way when someone says I love your mom you can't respond to that in a negative <laughs> hey, way. Shut up. Yeah, you shut up, you bitch. You bitch. <laughs> you fucking whore. You love my mom. Get her out of here. <laughs> I'm on stage, not you. <laughs> so and that's that that kind of heckle yeah. is a, it requires a much more delicate way yeah. of dealing with it cuz you have to acknowledge it. If you yeah. don't acknowledge it then you seem like you're a robot. Right. So, you know, there's different styles of of heckle that are, and you know, then there's another heckle that people don't even know they're heckling, which is they start people will text, you know, during yeah. a show. It's like, and you see it, and you see, it and you're like, you, yeah. and everyone else sees it, and so you, you generally that you huh. you, you can't acknowledge it. The silent heckle. Yeah, that's a form of heckle too. Or you know, people will just start whispering to each other. That can happen too. Yeah. It's like a. Um, there's a lot of different things that can happen that that I would consider heckles that uh, all have to be dealt with in their own way. Have you ever way. apologized to an audience? Have you ever said something and thought, oh, fuck, why did I say that? Yeah. Really? Yeah, for sure. Can you give me an example? You remember? Oh, God. I mean, like, oh, my God. Have you ever, like, you're going, you're spontaneous, like we were saying before, and you just go, whoops, I went way too far there. You know. I mean, I'm thinking, of course, of the Michael Richards thing. Oh, or, that. Or the Daniel Tosh thing or... You know, where it seems funny and then you're like, oh, I just, you know. You know, there have been times where I like have there there was a time. I mean, I could think of times where I've like taken some I, I've taken taken something. I, I wouldn't call it. I don't know that I've like a. Apologize. I might have. I might say like, "What the fuck was that?" Like, but 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 what happened with Daniel Tosh? This whole Daniel Tosh thing is was absolutely retarded. Yeah, it's dumb. I, mean, I just mentioned it because it's relatively recent. But what he did was what Daniel Tosh did was um, the technique. It's a technique he used. So there's an idea which is that if you're say something that's super dark. And it doesn't work that well, then it's more likely that if you go 50 times darker, just somehow it's like Dante's Inferno technique where it's like you're not going to get out of hell by going out of the perimeter. You're going to get out of hell by going through the fire. So like the idea is like if you somehow magnify it times 50, then perhaps the magnification will reveal the absurdity of what you originally were saying. And the end result will be that you that you get a laugh. So he was dealing with a heckler, too. Right. Well, no, he said he was doing some kind of rape joke that didn't work. Well, but it was with a heckler. The woman was interrupting his show and then he said something like you know wouldn't it be funny if she got raped because he but that that was preceded by a a rape joke oh so like he he apparently was doing some kind of rape joke that didn't go over she reacted and she's like i'm sorry but rape jokes are never funny Uh, which is a lie and then and then um and then he uh he responded Uh, by trying to go deeper into the rape joke by being like wouldn't it be funny if she got raped by everyone in the audience and then she went back and wrote this blog right. about you know the the uh the the absolute uh horror of the rape joke right. which which created this amazing reaction from like uh, different types of comedians and 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 and, and so you like saw what louis ck did 
Did you see his thing? What did he do? Did- Louis C.K. just put completely randomly, without knowing anything about this situation, tweeted something oh, about, yeah. hey, Louis, uh, Daniel Tosh makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everyone took that as a defense yeah. of this yeah. this whole thing going on that he, he had no idea about. Yeah. But, you, but, you know, a lot of comics stuck, like, you know, Doug Stanhope and a lot of, like, Rogan and a lot of comics, like, completely just stuck up for Daniel Tosh because it's like, listen, you, you, yeah. uh, you can't create these fucking rules with right. with with what we can talk about so what on about stage. racial stuff like do you say nigger ever on stage uh you know i did once i i i thought i was this is when i was just doing stand starting to do stand up and like i'm, I want, I'm sorry i apologize to any black people who find that offensive but i cannot say the n-word well it's, just, it's so I, stupid it's a it's a it's a real road bump man it better be fucking funny like with all that stuff it's like if you're gonna do it yeah. it better be fucking funny because yeah. you have like when you when you do a rape joke or when you say nigger or when you like do whatever the taboo thing is you're digging a really big hole so you gotta have like if you you need to have a payoff to like get out of the hole or otherwise you've just sort of made your entire job much harder but isn't it like Carlin's famous bit the seven deadly words you can never say on television right yeah I mean he said them Specifically to explode the power of the prohibition. Yeah. And I mean, I, exactly. I Louis C.K.'s thing about, about nigger is fantastic because he says, if you say the N word, we all know what you mean. Yes. And what you've done is just made me say nigger in my own yeah. head. Yeah. Like, if you're going to say it, fucking say it. Yeah. You know, don't make me say it to myself and then you skate away without with nothing, no dirt on your hands. You know, fuck that. It's a word. Yeah. Yeah. This is the this is the uh, that 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 premise is like the magic word premise. And there are a lot of different comics have addressed it. And there's a lot of different like it's all the same idea, which is like we imbue certain words with like magical power. And that's absurd. Right. But. It's the energy behind the word. Like, there's a comic I, uh, that I think is very funny, but he, uh, throughout his act, always, like, says faggot, 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 faggot. And he says it in a way that it's, like, it kind of in the same way I say fucking. I say fucking too much. Like, I'm fucking, right. it's lazy when I say right. it. I'm trying to get myself to stop. But, yeah. it, but so it's, like, or, like, in a, in a great, in a great, uh, in a great poem or something, if you're used there, all the words should be intentional or in right. a great movie, you'll realize that when you're watching a scene, if you pause, you look at the cinematography and you'll yeah. see that everything's yeah. intentional. It's yeah. all related to like what's happening. Right. So in a good comedic performance, everything has been, there's a reason behind it to some degree right. and you don't want sloppy stuff coming in. Right. So th- that's when the magic words can become pointless or when you're right. doing the magic words because you just want to shock right. out of a form of laziness right. or vulgarity. Yeah, yeah. You want to shock. Uh, so yeah, though in, in those cases, it's like, why do it? But right. Michael Richards, you know, blowing up in anger and saying the his crazy racist shit he said, or Daniel Tosh or all that stuff. In the grand scheme of things, these people are Daniel Tosh, not a rapist. Right. Michael Richards, not a racist. Right. right. You know what I mean? Exactly. They're comedians who for a living push limits. And sometimes they're going to trip over the limit and land on their face. And if we don't forgive them for that, what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? That's that's why they're famous cuz they do crazy shit that we wouldn't do or even know how to do. Yeah, let them yeah, give them a break, man. Yeah, At the very exactly. uh, the very worst, man. They they bombed. Right. And they they whatever the fuck they did was right. stupid, but then they they inevitably like Atosh handled it well. Michael Richards poor guy, he had to like 
go into seclusion, sail down a river. Like he like had to go to like some river cruise. Rehab. Like they go He's to rehab. Comedy rehab. Rehab is our stocks. Yeah. Rehab yeah, is the modern day stocks it's where the like public humiliation. Yeah, yeah, go to rehab and yeah. like you're suddenly you're forgiven. Right. It's so dumb. Yeah. It's like. Meanwhile, if you look at like, you know, our president, he's using remote controlled robots to blow up United right. States citizens without a trial. Right. And everyone's like, yeah, totally fine. Yeah. But did you hear what Daniel Tosh said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, hey, are there are there comedian groupies? Are, are comedians just like getting laid left and right on the road? Do they line up off stage? And Not is it like one. a Hendrix show? Not this comedian. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, um, uh, uh, I mean, I like that idea is for well, for personally for me, I have no game. Like I'm not good with my tail feathers are warped. The number one thing that women say is attractive in men is sense of humor. Okay, but here, so imagine this. You now, I know. By the way, I know comedians who go out on the road, and it's a goddamn Roman orgy out there. And and, and, and like, I need to talk to them because I have to. I have to find out the the tactics. But for me, it's like you know, my friend Ari puts it this way. He's like, unless a girl is being completely forward with you. Right. After you get off stage, there's n- it's not going to happen. You don't know how to deal with it. Because yeah. he, you're all, here's what it is. It's like the show's over. Right. Crowd's leaving. Right. You go outside to say hi to people. Uh, uh, you, people are coming up and wanting to talk to you. Uh, a girl might come up and say, hey, I thought you were really funny. And is throwing out some kind of signal at that moment. And then I guess if you're, um, I guess if you're uh, good at it. You know, you can read those signals and like, you know what to do, but even what are you going to do? Cause you have people around you. Are you going to like suddenly turn into the guy where you're like, see you guys later. I'm going to talk to this girl now. Oh, hey, what's up? Did you like my show? <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Definitely not that. Not that. Not that. So, so, so like, like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I'd always, there's a sense of like, there have been times when girls who, who have liked the podcast have approached me. And like have been for, but then I feel weird because it's like, well, I don't want to like trade on this. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Right. That's a great way to put it. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to trade on. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be fucking, I don't know what the word for that guy is, but it it feels strange and, 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 and not like somehow wrong. Like Mm. the, um, there yeah, I don't know. But then on the other hand, like you're you're on the you're horny. You're in a hotel room. It's like you do. It would be nice. I just, I just don't know how to do it. Yeah, I need to talk to you. I need to talk yeah, to you about it. I'll give you some. Pointers. I need to get tips from you. I need to talk to what's his name Strauss. Neil Strauss. Yeah, yeah. Because I my t- I was in a five year relationship, so I, like all my tail feathers are like clipped. Clipped. <laughs> when I try to do whatever my, back, right? my whenever I try to do my mating dance, it's just this clumsy <laughs> thing, like an an- a wounded flopping. animal, a kind of like seizure of like. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a seizure. That's his mating dance. Poor guy. <laughs> My mating dance is a seizure of loneliness <laughs> and horniness. It's less seizure, oh yeah. I don't know how to do it. That's all. I just don't know how to do it, man. Well, all right. Here's the first thing. If a woman comes up to you and, and says, so how long are you in town? That you want to you wanna think. Yeah, that, then I'm fine. Yeah. That doesn't happen. She, that doesn't happen? I thought you were really funny. You're a great job. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like, that's it. It's it, like, there was a time when like I was, I had a girlfriend and there was a time when I got off stage and, and I had like done some blowjob joke or something with a, a bad interaction with a girl in the audience where I think I may have said that cause she had a, uh, she had a, her tongue was pierced. I Her tongue was pierced. I think I might've said like, you know, a tongue piercing is essentially like just it, like just a public job, announcement yeah. that you're great, that you're dedicated to blowjobs right. and, and, <laughs> Hey, that's true, right? It yeah. started in the gay community. I yeah. mean, uh, tongue piercing, there's no point other than blowjob. No one's ever, like, looked at a, a girl's tongue piercing and been like, wow, well, that is a beautiful <laughs> silver <laughs> well, ball that, that you have at the tip of your tongue. <laughs> Any guy who sees a tongue piercing, all your things like, that's blow for blowjobs. Job. That's a blowjob tool. You've, exactly. You're a blowjob cyborg. Enhancement. You've, yeah. you've enhanced your body yeah. to, to, to give blowjobs. Right. So I said that, and then after the show... She like was immediately hitting. I mean, like you know, like so. You think I'm good at blowjobs? You think I'm good at? T-? But I had I was in a monogamous relationship oh. at the time, and it's got that trembly thing what? where you're like, <laughs> your body starts like someone's running a the low seizure, level electrical seizure. current through it. Where you're like, uh, I can't. She, I won't. Right. She, uh, I had That's to like great. go downstairs. I had to go down into the into the club oh, and like no. uh, and like was like punching my leg. Like you're not gonna cheat. You've never cheated before. You will not cheat. Oh, it was the. Con- it was about the monogamy. It wasn't about the woman freaking you out by coming on to you. No, if oh, I had not had a girlfriend, okay. that would have been a great night. But like, all over no, that. yeah, but yeah. but it takes that level of forwardness, right? Because there's a limited amount of time after a show. All right. But I, by the way, I know this is me. I'm talking about me. I'm not okay. talking about these. But I got I got the answer for you, dude. please. All right. When you got to like work in a little bit about comedian groupies. And how that you know there aren't enough of them, or they're confusing, or whatever. On stage, and, yeah, on stage as part of the act, and and like well, I mean, I'm giving a comedian advice. No, you're not. Ridiculous. No, I'm not sighing. What you, the sigh that you're but, hearing is one of like me per, being perplexed and trying to think of how to do this. Yeah, but I mean, because it, it is funny, right? I mean, you could like do this whole thing about like it's not like being a musician. It's not like being you know in uh, fucking uh, what is the band Californication? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever. What's the name? The, I I know what you're saying. I know that. But I I know uh, what you're talking. Uh, fucking uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Pepper. Yeah, it's like you know this is a whole different scene and. You know, you know, uh, comedians are like inept and we're blah, blah, neurotic. blah, neurotic and all that. So, ladies, I just want to tell you, if any of you women are thinking how much you want to fuck me tonight, you got to yeah. be really you, clear about yeah, it. Yeah, you can't. I mean, I've, that thing, it's it's like you're what what it would be is some subtle version of that <laughs> and, and and or not. But but you got to hand me your phone number in much, the handshake. Pretty much. That's what it's got to be. Because and yeah. then let me give you some advice, because I've been in a position where I came down from stage and a woman came up. This was in Argentina which yes. I think is a different, you know, world. So this woman comes up to me and says, oh, I really enjoyed your talk. That was fantastic. And she shakes my hand and there's a piece of paper in her hand. And she says, if you want someone to show you around Buenos Aires, give me a call. That's great. And I look and it's her name and phone number. Yeah. And I put it in my pocket. And I was like, wow, that's great. And she's, you know, pretty attractive. Yeah. So maybe I'll give her a call. More people. There's a line of people, you know, blah, blah, blah. Another, oh, that was great. If you want someone to show you around, give me a call. Jesus. Name and number. And I look and, and the woman was really nice, but not like sexually attractive. Yeah. And just as I was putting her number in my pocket, I thought, what if they get mixed up? Because I'll never remember who was who. Shit. Different pocket. So now you've got the pocket system. Got a pocket system. Yeah. 
Yeah. See, you have a pocket system. Well, yeah, not that I've used it very often, but I, there is the pocket system. I won't yeah. name the names, but I know a famous comic who, in his heyday, um, um, uh, this is, you know, what I'm not even going to say because <laughs> too many people will speculate about who I'm talking about. <laughs> but I know that they're they're like. There is heyday. That 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 opens it up. He, uh, he, this is. Uh, I'll give some hints. This is a comic in the eighties who had a show and a lot of movies and was like totally was like became like a weird kind Eddie of Murphy. sex symbol. No one say who it is, but he had someone who would actually take Polaroids of the girls at the show that right. wanted to talk to him and then sure. they would put their phone numbers on the back of the Polaroid so that then he could like go through the pictures to decide who he wanted to hook up with. Yeah. But that's so like, I mean, that's just so goddamn like overt and, and, and my, the one time that it's ever happened for me on the road was sort of someone who knew a friend of mine already and then like right before the show she's like hey how about after the show i take you around on my vespa <laughs> this was your show in rome in 1972 no it was so it wasn't but it, that it was that was kind of like yes yeah great vespa. awesome hey there's nothing better than vespa sex man oh, did you rock the vespa no we, no, we didn't fuck. we fucked in the back of her vespa it was hot <laughs> Vespa sex. Speaking of Vespas, uh, a friend of mine told me recently, actually a guy I, I interviewed for the podcast, uh, Tal Ruspoli is his name. His parents met when his mother was like 13 or 14 or something. His father was in his 30s. And they met at a party at Roman Polanski's house. Whoa, <laughs> shit. I don't know why, but Vespas. Uh, he's an Italian prince, sure. so I think... You know, Vespas, Italian princes, it's all the same. Yeah. Polanski's an Italian prince? No, my friend is. Oh. Yeah. You have a friend who's an Italian prince? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Very interesting guy. He's a film producer, director. Wow. He's doing a documentary now on monogamy. Cool. Which is how I met him. He went and he interviewed me for the thing, and then we had dinner. He's uh, shooting second camera on um, Oliver Stone's recent film which wow. i haven't seen yet but apparently has an interesting love triangle you know what i'm talking about savages i know what you're called. talking about yeah yeah there's some polyamorous love thing going on in the middle of that's that that's cool yeah yeah well anyway listen man this has been fantastic i'm sure we're way over our our allotted time but uh this has been a blast it's man been fantastic. you're so it's, fun it's, to it's talk fun with to, yeah yeah definitely i'm glad we got some of your stories the, the other things have been more about my my misadventures wandering onto a psychiatric hospital while tripping my yeah. face off and so forth so if you want to hear those stories check out duncan trussell's archives yes go back go back in time two episodes yeah yeah definitely good stuff Anything else? I you're a pro. You're a pro at this. What am I forgetting to mention? I guess I should go back through the you know Amazon affiliates. Go to the Feral Audio uh, page. Sure, you can see Duncan's stuff there. You got a page there with archives. Yeah, you can that. go to my website duncantrussell.com, and I got a bunch of podcasts there. We well, got um, t-shirts and decals. Sure, and there's all stuff there. Yeah, we're all out of, of the shirts. We're getting new ones now, but which are the, made by Thai children, if I remember. Thai children. Yeah, yeah. We teams of Thai children. And are they strapped? 
strapped to the machines? Do, What's that? Do you chain them to the machines? No, we use them as the material. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually they're not made by Thai oh, children. They're no, made of, of Thai, Thai children. children. I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. Yeah, they're made by robots. <laughs> okay, robots fly through Thailand and they scoop the street <laughs> kids up and then they drop them into uh, these amazing chemical mixing. slurry that transforms <laughs> their young bodies into really soft t-shirts. So definitely I, I check. Gotta say, chemical slurry is just a great phrase. <laughs> I love that it, phrase. It slurry. Slurry. Yeah. It's like slurpy slurry. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> Before we go off into slurry, so go to the audio feral audio page. Duncan Trussell's there, obviously tangentially speaking's there. All sorts of things you can click on, donate, send us your spare change, and we'll use it wisely. Thanks for listening. Bye. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say when everyone you ever know. Set it for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You want to shut it up or give it a rest You're gonna die one day our time thinking about an obligation running from a confrontation wondering what we ought to say when everyone we ever know sit for a headstone i don't want to give the end away we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day so baby what's the big if you want to be free, say what you want to feel, spend the night with me, I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms, we'll dance into the ground.